Welcome to the dark forest Jackie and her pals will never bore us Shameless confessions about our obsessions Will make us laugh and smile So let's explore the dark forest And dork down for a Hey, it's Jackie Cation. Welcome to the Dork Forest. You know the websites, JackieCation.com, DorkForest.com, TheDorkForest.com, FamilyPetAncestry.com. You're probably already there. Let's do the credits. Mike Rickberg composed and sang that song with his wife, Sarah, that you just heard. He's going to sing his version of the Mexican hat dance at the end of the program. Patrick Brady is going to fix this audio, and Vilmos works on JackieCation.com the website. There are many ways to support the show. The Amazon link is one. You can use an Amazon link from JackieCation.com or DorkForest.com to go to Amazon. You order like normal and it supports the show. There is a straight up donation button, PayPal or Venmo to this uh, email address that is mine, Jackie at JackieCation.com, where you can just donate to the show if you like the show a lot. I think PayPal has figured out a way to do a monthly. If you want to go monthly, please do. Other ways to support the show if you want to is you can buy merch. There's Dork Forest t-shirts and all the shirts are union made here in America. So they run a little big. Union Bayside. So if you want to look up their size chart. And then the other merch is my stand-up merch. On JackieCation.com, you can watch me do stand-up. You can look at my schedule and the stand-up merch, a couple of different t-shirts, couple of different enamel pins, and all of my CDs and my DVD. If you want to live stream my DVD, it's over there at ComedyFilmNerds.com. They have a live streaming capability, or you can get a hard copy of the DVD on my website. Oh, there are premium episodes at Bandcamp. TheDorkForest.Bandcamp.com has probably 10 episodes that were done live. They cost me a couple of bucks to make, so I charge you a couple of bucks. If you've run out of regular episodes, go over to TheDorkForest.Bandcamp.com and get some more. Other than that, I say this. Let's get into the show. Hey, it's Jackie Cation. I'm in my living room. I'm back off the road, and this is my first one back, and it's with Ethan Stanislavski. Welcome to the program. Hi, thank you again for having me. I sure, appreciate it. Sure, no problem. We're doing these these headphones with the mics. Yeah. So uh, it, w- there's part of me that wants to shake a hand, like I've just introduced you on stage. Yeah, it's, uh, and, yeah, it's okay. All yeah. right, yeah. And uh, now, wait, you do stand-up comedy, mm-hmm. obviously. And That's correct. And where did you start? If uh, for me, I... It's a little tricky because I started like three months worth, which is borderline not at that point in New York where I'm from. I'm from right. New York originally. Okay. And uh, I was at a point where I was like, I don't know what to do with my life. I was going to grad school at uh, Indiana University in Bloomington. Okay. And uh, I had like three months where I couldn't commit to anything long term. So right. I started stand up. This is like 2010. And uh, well, that's the perfect reason to start. Yeah, stand-up. It's like what else do I do in my life? But I've always <laughs> been like a huge nerd with stand up and stuff like that. And then uh, about three months into open mic, I'm like, oh no, this is kind of what I want to do. This is this is it. But at the same time, I had committed to a graduate program at right. Bloomington, Indiana, which. Uh, conveniently enough, had pro- one of the best comedy clubs in the country yeah, to distract me, uh, the comedy attic, while I was there. So, uh, so I, you got to do both. I, I did, did. You do both? Did do both? But it was like by the spring, I was doing the stand up more than the grad school. Right. And there's there some personal stuff then. Like my my grandfather died, so I like took a like a month off, and right. then I was just like, this is what I want to do. Right. Um, so and I'm well, like, well, that's kind of exciting because uh, stand up is it, it's either yeah. It, also, it, it com- isn't always like heroin. But yeah, sometimes but it also it's like heroin. compared to journalism school, it's 
journalism school is what I was there for, and it's journalism school may be the one profession that is a stupider life decision than stand-up comedy. That may be the one. <laughs> so I actually well, it's certainly the thing that uh, a lot of really. Um, a lot of journalists want to do stand-up, right? I, as far as I could tell from their writing. No, when I when I left grad school, uh, ev- all the professors said, "I wish I was you," and I'm like, "That's uh, that's you, a, you inter- could be, you could please, be, yeah." It was please a little, stop doing something. It, it was it was very encouraging. My dad's a professor too. Uh, okay. He teaches at Columbia, so he said, "Yeah, that's the general sentiment." Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I feel, I feel like with stand-ups, when someone leaves it, they're always like they're joking about it, but there is kind of like a stick it out kind of mentality. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's it's, they, it's sort of the opposite where stand-ups would be like, "Don't do it." To start, unless you absolutely want to, but uh, right in academia, they'll be like, "Quit now, <laughs> you can." <laughs> so it's like the other end of that. So uh, that is hilarious. Yeah. So, so you grew up in New York City. Grew up in New York. Uh, yeah, uh, my dad teaches at Columbia, so I grew yeah. up in like it's weird. Columbia is in Manhattan because it's like on the one hand, it's you know this intellectual world that's in Morningside Heights, sort of, yeah. which is right next to the Upper West Side, which is like a very uh, sort of notoriously Jewy, nerdy, intellectual, artistic uh, world uh, depicted in many films by uh, creeps of his <laughs> artistic history. Um, so how cryptic? Yeah. Uh, um, so you, know, I, you okay. know that I I stayed across the street from Morningside um, Park. Yeah. In 1989. Uh, Ooh, that. No, it would have been 85. That is uh, an that, interesting that time. Un- that was an unfortunate time. Yeah. And I was house sitting, and, and the and the note for the woman who, who I was house, she said, do not go into the park. Yeah. Do that, not even walk on that side of the street. There was uh, one time when I was like 13, when you're in New York, you're sort of like 11, 12, 13 ish is when you start being able to take uh, public transportation on your own, generally. Yeah. And I took a bus that went to that side of the neighborhood as opposed to like. Where I was, which is on like the f- near the Hudson River, like where right. I drive Broadway, which was okay. Right. And then I went there, uh, and you went too far. Went too far, and I walked through the park, and my parents had a conniption fit. Oh my god! Yeah, they yes. were, and they were, like they're like, oh my gosh, he lived right. And but it was also like it was a weird time to grow up there because it was the late nineties, like nineties <laughs> when I grew up. Like when I was a kid, like th- I was born in nineteen eighty six. So when I was like three. Uh, there's like a playground across the street from me near Riverside Park, and uh, I could never play in the sandbox there, and I was oh. always mad. But it was crack vials. It was yeah. full of crack vials, and then I'm like, "Thank you, Dad, for letting for me saying no. no. Yeah, for saying no. But like when I was there, it was the era when crime was kind of stopping. So, but there was still like the sense from like the parents that New York is still this. So it was right. like this weird identity crisis of we are being raised like it's the hellscape it was, but we're not seeing it. So right, because it's, so it's being gentrified it's, all around yes, you. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I go back now, and I'm like, I don't know any place. Like, right. all my childhood is dead, and it's, <laughs> it's now all Chipotles and oh, uh, well. Shake Shacks uh, of the world. So. Uh, right, and uh, that is true of so many so there many was places. A, there was a, I think it was like when Tumblr was still relevant in culture, there yeah. was a... Tumblr called I have it. a Tumblr. Yeah, I did too. Uh, I shut it down because it was 24-year-old Ethan writing, which I'm not necessarily proud of. Oh, my God. Of. Yeah, uh, yeah. You got you to hide that shit. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, my it's, favorite story about that is I – this is – I'm not proud of this, but there was a, <laughs> a post I wrote called Top 5 Male Feminists in Culture at the time. <laughs> and I looked at it – Oh, were you trying? I, yeah, I was trying. And you then, know what? 
It was How a good, old were you? I was like 24, 25. Yeah. That was a good time. But the ironic thing is of those uh, five, at least three of them are Revealed. out of the picture and now. Revealed so, as dirtbags? Or not to various degrees of dirtbags. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. There is a, there's a linear spectrum yes. of dirtbags. So like where does Josh Whedon fall in the dirtbag spectrum? For right. He's, he's just... He's, he's just, got... He's a guy that's abused a little bit of power but isn't raping people. Yeah, exactly. And isn't, and, and isn't coercing people into stripping. He's yeah, just exactly. kind of... He's just kind of ew. Yeah, he's just... You know what I I have a lot of rage about? Before we even get to talk about your... I have un... There's... I'm just... That Seth Rogen, Charlize Theron movie, where she plays the Secretary of State who runs for for president. Have you seen this? I have not. I've not even heard of that. Oh, cr- it is essentially... He has bought himself a trophy wife of a movie. And it is enormously irritating to me. Because yeah. he... She plays the Secretary of State and they went to high school together or college or something. And he is... Uh, he's a, a journalist. And uh, he's going to write her speeches and they fall in love. Uh, or they don't because I can't Ooh. watch it. And I love a shitty romance yeah, movie. Yeah, that's... that's uh, falls in a weird place in the spectrum. I, I would say of like the bro- it falls man. on the spectrum. Yeah, uh, is what it falls on. Yeah. Seth Rogen. Yeah, uh, for me, I always the bromance movies that I always love, which is generally seen as the worst awful one, is Observe and Report. Um, I don't know that. That was I think it was 2009, so it was right after the peak of like knocked up. Uh, oh right, right. Knocked up, uh, super bad, and all that, and it has been described as the funny games of the bromance movie, which is. I don't even get that. So Funny Games is like... <laughs> yeah. Why don't you walk me through I'll the walk history you through, of, I'll walk of, you through of, that. Of, so Funny Games was a was a German uh, Austrian movie by Michael Haneke, who later did The White Ribbon and more, and then he remade it in America in like 2007. And it was basically this dark fucking... <laughs> uh, like, But it was like about a home invasion where it sort of turned on the horror genre on itself. And like, okay. there's a scene where Michael Pitt looked directly at the audience and like, you wanted this, didn't you? And then rewinded and got like the ending that people didn't want. Oh, and it was okay. like that kind of thing. So it was just like, like shitting on the self, audience yeah, self, for yeah. what they like. And this was kind of the... And that's what Observe and Report was? Kind of. There was, Who was in that? That was, it was Seth Rogen. It was Aziz before he was a uh, b- major, Before he was a bad dater. Before he as was, As far as I can yes. tell, his his but crime what, is being kind of a shitty boyfriend. Yeah, it's, it's for me, it's like, uh, there's one take I said, which was like, if the Me Too movement goes to male entitlement, mm-hmm. that's good. That, like, right. That's the next step. And I'm like, that's, that's a fair point. But like, I feel like that, yeah. Again, we're talking about spectrum, and I the feel spectrum. Like, and the yes. thing is, this and to always be aware that you are talking to another person mm-hmm. and you're at work mm-hmm. isn't a bad idea, right? And uh, you know, I'm not saying I don't look at you know dudes that are good looking and go, well, that's distracting. Right. Uh, but that, uh, <laughs> but there's, there's. I mean, I don't ever say anything. about yeah. I mean, I do sometimes on stage. Yeah. Where yeah. I'm just like, and what I will say. I don't know. Would this be sexist if a guy said it to a woman? Let's find out uh, in the moment because I've never said these. Uh, <laughs> I have said to dudes, "You're distractingly good-looking. I can't actually look at you." It feels a little rude. Yeah, but it's also like. But if a guy on, said it to a woman, yeah, the woman in the audience is like, ah, yeah. But um, but it's also like if you are friends, it's like it depends on even then. It's like sort of relative. Depends on your relationship, like. If you have a friendship that's sort of based, that's close yeah, enough. Yeah, I don't, wouldn't have any relationship with this dude in the yeah. audience. It no, would that's, just be that's fair. But there's like, like I have friends who will just like, even like, I am like at most a point two on the Kinsey scale, but I will have like male <laughs> friends where, uh, like, I, like I, I think about this a lot. There was a guy when I was just starting in New York, uh, there were actually two guys who like at 
just mics or shows, they would just grab my balls. Like, that was just what they did. And it was like, hey, man, grab your balls. Like, it was just the fun thing to do. Right. And it was like, one guy did it, and it was like, okay, cool, whatever. And then, (laughs) like, that's just how he says hi. It's like a dog or something like that. And then there was another guy who did it, and it was again, it was like, whatever, that's how you say hi. And then, I found out later that he was bisexual, and weirdly, that made it weird. And I felt bad about that because about it's like, being weirded out because of his bisexuality. Well, it was like that—not by his bisexuality, but like that. I—I I sort of was under the impression that it was like sort of that broy, a like, broy thing bro-y that you were thing. like that you also did not want to be part of. Yeah, but but then it's, yeah, but then when there was like an element that he was interested in men, it made it weird for me. Which I don't, but it's like. The whole thing should be weird. Should the whole be, thing's weird. Yeah. The whole thing. And I think also that that was like very much uh, 2011, 2012 way of communicating that probably wouldn't I, fly you know what? I don't I, know. F- for my entire career, and I have told this story innumerable, n- numerous times, is the fact that I have had gay comics grab my boobs and grab my crotch, mm-hmm. and they're like, or my ass, and they're mm-hmm. like, I'm gay, I'm gay. And I'm like... You're still my body, weirdo. Yeah, yeah. Fucking weirdo Magoo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so. It's, it's, I think. <laughs> yes. I'm okay. Like, we don't need to save friendly ball grabbing. If that no. is a thing we lose in culture, like, there's worse things to <laughs> right, lose. Than, right, right. Like, and, and if that's the, but if that's the worst thing you're doing, please stop doing yeah, it. Yeah, it's like there's. But n- that isn't. I don't think it's a def- I, I I don't think it's a defense that should make you lose your job. Though I suppose like, if you did it at work in a regular workplace, yeah, but we but, live but in a weird. We live in a bar. Yeah, we, so yeah, it's basically. very it's very judgment goes out the window. There was like a time at a bar where like I, I was very drunk uh, and it was. I wasn't even like interested in this girl, and it was like, but she and she was with her boyfriend, so it was like fine. Right. But we were just started <laughs> right shit talking like you do in a bar, and somehow hair pulling came up, and yeah. I like jokingly pulled her hair right. in front of her boyfriend, yeah. and I was like, and I was, it was like part of like it was a bit that made right, sense it was in the moment in that moment, and then I realized like I was I was also drunk, and I was like I looked at her boyfriend, and I was like I'm so sorry, she's like it's cool, I got it, and he was just right, like you he, get it, you yeah. get the joke, and I'm like ah, and I still right, like, right, you're still uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah. It. There's plenty of oh, there's plenty of when I was oh, drunk yeah. and the bullshit I did. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, that's all. That's yeah. all fair game in my so, mind. But I because th- I think the learning curve to some extent. Yeah. I'm not saying it's too steep, but steep. My ad, my ad, my ad. I'm about to do an ad. Rangers, this is a Robinhood ad. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in four taps, just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as the 100 most popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio. Discover new stocks, trade your favorite companies, get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of the Dork Forest a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at forest.robinhood.com. Now let's get back into the show. Like right now I'm starting to hang out more and more with like 20, 24, like what I was 24 comics, yeah. but they're also like, I was on the fringe of growing up with the internet. Like right. I was it from like, 10 to 12, I was 
on in AIM chat rooms and I was more or less right. as online as you could be at the time. But I still remember like when that was not the way you lived your life. Right. Like I didn't have Facebook till college. I didn't right. have like things like that. I think if you were raised with that now, I'm starting to see some tendencies of people where it's like instead of like privately talking to a human being who there's some kind of issue with, like, which is how you do things. There's like a... That's ideal. You put it on blast first and pick up the pieces second, which is... Which is what they're doing now. Which is what things are doing now. Right. And it's, that's just... It makes, it, it seriously makes the learning curve steep. Yeah. But it has been 11,000 years of someone grabbing your balls. Yeah, exactly. So, so there's, there's straight, so like, there's... If, if, if you have to be taught by me shaking you. Yeah. I guess that's how we're doing it. I mean, I, I can't stop it yeah. at this point. There, so. It's just also like how, yeah, and it's like, how, I don't also know how much it lasts. Like, if you have an incident when you're like 19, and I've had flames, go things go down in flames sure. on the internet before uh, in many ways, but they've, I like, I've come out of that. I've survived. So right. it's not like I am in shambles. There was a moment where I was like, is this it? Like, am I done? But yeah. like, with, uh, I, I talk about this sometimes, like a UCB instructor uh, who were my, like my sketch class who said, I will make sure you never do anything at UCB again. Oh, wait a minute. That That's one like, of those you're never going to work in this town again. Yeah, but it moments? was like a UCB instructor for like <laughs> Sketch 201 and uh, who had no power over me or anything. No, they never do. The people who say, when I, when I first yeah. moved to Los Angeles, um, the woman, a good, good friend of mine who I moved in with, she, was, she had moved here a year earlier and she had taken a class... How to be a PA. Yeah. A personal uh, assistant, but a PA on set. Right. So it was a class. It was a $300 six. six yeah. So she I went to the LA. first one. <laughs> yeah. So she goes to it and she realizes that uh, you have to have your own car and they're going to want you to go get coffee. Yeah. And, uh, and that's the whole thing. Right. And so she canceled the check. Yeah, and went home, and uh, and the guy who had the class said that she would never work in this town yeah. again. Yeah, and she's like, "Well, if if me working in this town again is this, I'm, yeah. I'm okay with that." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's nuts. Yeah. Uh, Ethan Stanislavski, let's talk briefly about your dorkdom as we're yes. 15 minutes into yes, the program. Yes, we should probably get to that. It's um, at Ethan Stan Comedy, by yes, the way. It's on- E T H A N S T A N Comedy on all the things right? on Twitter and Instagram. It's on Facebook. I have a page I don't really use. I use my personal more than I should, but that's right, just uh, Ethan.Stanislavski. If you okay. want to see public posts that maybe shouldn't all the time be public, but who <laughs> right. knows. Mine is in my private page, uh, entirely political. So yeah. feel free to avoid I, it and yeah. go to Jackie Cation Jokes. Yeah, Smith. exactly. Yeah. So, Ethan, mm-hmm. but you, this is amazing because I literally don't know what this is. <laughs> you, you're like, your dorkdom is theater. And so you've written back to the angry young man movement mm-hmm. in British theater. That, yes. I'm, I'm starting there because I don't know what that is. Okay, so um, I, let me. Let, I'm trying to put it this way. Um, after during World War II in England, a lot of theater was sort of about British pride and like about let's maintain that we're England and that we're great, which. In World War II, made sense. You kind of had to have that thing. Right. Everybody uh, had nationalism. That's where Olivier... To various degrees. That's where Olivier mm-hmm. became Olivier, basically, was sort of maintaining that uh, world. Um, and by the late 50s, there, not necessarily in theater, but in the culture of England, that was sort of breaking down. You had the Suez Crisis, which sort of 
really confirmed that England wasn't an empire anymore. You had sort of a generation coming up that didn't remember World War II as well, or wasn't like they didn't live through they, it. They lived through it, but like as a child, not right? As, they were four. They, they were four. 14. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and there was also like a lot of educated people in an economy that was going nowhere, and they didn't know they had like too much of a brain, and they didn't know what to do. And especially when you're like 26 and have unchecked testosterone about it um <laughs> that will lead to poetry bad po- bad poetry in most cases bad poetry but in sometimes uh incredible theater and the play that sort oh, of sometimes excellent sometimes ama- yeah amazing poetry <laughs> oh good um so in the thing that sort of centralized that in england uh it sort of really brought that kind of energy into uh the world and theater of course in england is a is at a mainstream level that it is not and never has been, probably will never will be in America. So okay. that, like, culture in England is defined by theater as much as by television and film, which is okay. sort of unthinkable in America. Even out of London? Even out, out of, of London, yeah. Like, there's, Bergen, there's, uh, yeah. And there's all, like, academies, like the Royal Shakespeare Academy, which I don't think is in London, but there's, like, just, it's just part of the culture there. Okay. It's like every actor you've ever seen who's English has gone through theater before they've gone to movies and television in okay. the U.S. Um, that's why they're all 40. That's why they're all 40 and good. And, good. and, and, and <laughs> yeah, really good at their good. job. Yes. yes. Um, so uh, the play, I think it was 1957, this play, Look Back in Anger by John Osborne, premiered and it's one of those premieres that every when you uh like everyone claims they were at that premiere oh really like (laughs) there is not enough seats for in the theater for like a quarter of the people who claim (laughs) they were there okay Um, i think it was described by someone as like a landmine thrown into or a a grenade thrown into the british theater world because it was not really it was sort of like there had been previous games sort of like gritty i mean like not gritty but like Real like Arthur Miller in America was sort of a force for that. There wasn't okay. really anything like that in British theater, and the whole play centered around just it was all in an apartment. It was a kitchen sink drama and sort of that. that oh, okay, yeah, which wasn't really as mainstream then. So it also weirdly the started... only one I've that I've ever seen mm-hmm. is a Shepherd um, about uh, the brothers. Yes, uh, true. That's true, true West. Yes. True West. Yeah, that's the only one of those I've ever seen. Yeah, so in. So it's like that. Where kind of, it's all set in, 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 in one apartment. One cramped apartment from someone who has an incredible education and works at a candy store. Like okay. all day. Uh, and because that, that's all he can get at that right. point. And it's basically it lives with his Jimmy Porter is the character's okay. name. Uh, he lives with his wife Allison and his roommate, I think it's Heath or Cl- no, it's Cliff in uh okay. in that. And they are Basically, cramped there, he sort of terrorizes his wife and his roommate, and he right. just can't handle all that's happening in his life, and he can't handle what's happening in the world, and he just he's feels trapped in this marriage, and he, it's basically that, and it's like a character, um, and sort of a friend comes in who like tries to rescue his wife, and then he takes up with her, uh, and oh, then wow. it becomes a whole mess there. Uh, and now there's, there's four people in that Now apartment. there's four people, and then uh, her dad comes in and delivers, <laughs> like, that's, there's five characters in the play total, and they all, her like, in that apartment. Oh, they all give you, like, you like you can't handle how they feel, and it yeah. becomes, it's a weird thing, uh, I directed that play in college, so that okay. was, a, that was sort of, but I read it in high school, and I'm like, oh, this is, I was a sort of a bitter, angry 
15, 16 year olds. So it fit right into. Right, it blew your mind. Yeah. With yeah. The, with a lot of education and not a lot of place, like not a lot, not education, but like, you know, intelligence and curiosity and not a really a lot of place to apply it. And I was always like a huge theater uh, nerd growing up. I okay. sort of. Well, actually, you get to be with living, yeah, when you live in New York. York yeah. There was a moment I was talking, like I was working on characters with uh, a friend of mine and, uh, uh, I said, I've seen a lot of like one man multiple character things. And he just came in and like, You've seen a lot of one man character <laughs> off Broadway plays? Like, what is, who, who says that? Who raised you? Yeah, exactly. And, well, you were clearly raised by people who wanted to see some theater. Yeah. So and, uh, I saw a lot of, I was like, How have I, and then I was like, Oh, yeah, you're, you're correct. That is an yes. unusual thing to say. Uh, yes. And I, I accept that. But, yeah. um, and um, so that play sort of, changed a lot about theater and there was like a so that became like the angry young man movement which basically was a movement of like this the same kind of uh based on that sort of main character which is like overeducated, not a lot of place to apply it right stuck in a in like a conventional like not curiosity life Um, does it lend itself to um sort of uh an examination in sort of cruelty yes okay it's one of those things where uh it probably is not the best feminist example of oh uh, no no not uh, by any means. But um, the thing is, is it does reveal sort of the power dynamic. Right. I mean, so it's not, it isn't feminist or not feminist. It's right. literally just a slice of life of, of, of a certain person. Yeah, of a certain of era. a certain era and character. Yeah. and it's also and it gets a lot of where that energy comes from in sort of the male uh, spirit, which has been explored a lot, to be fair, in a lot of things, but for its time and place, that was sort of revolutionary at the time. Right, because there's, I mean, the, 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 the sort of the converse of that, without knowing enough about mm-hmm. any of this, but just to jump right in, mm-hmm. uh, is is if, if there's an over-educated, underemployed, <clears throat> frustrated male character who has these dependents or these people around him that he can... Uh, sort of vent on. Yeah. Um, there, that that character also exists in uh, an undereducated. Yes. Perfectly fine employed, but he feels arrogant and entitled and resentful and of... resentful anyway. Yeah. So the weird thing is, this is the the difference is that the, we have some sympathy for this guy because right. you're like, no, no, you should be doing something that, that with it, that giant brain yeah. of yours. But this it, guy should. Maybe it, be happy that that lady likes it. Yes, exactly. But it sort of <laughs> tests the limits of how far that sympathy can go. And you oh, know, you see right. a lot, and even now, like you see the difficult men uh, television genre with all oh, the prestige. All the prestige shows are about assholes who somehow you have a uh, emotional connection to because of it's. It is weirdly. It's become a trope. It's become a trope. It's almost like. Like there's a lot of that in Walter White, in that he had that resentment over missing an opportunity to be a millionaire, oh, and that's he it exa- found that's exactly that's what he exactly was in Breaking was. Bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he had, I watched the first uh, like two seasons of that, and I was like, "Well, this isn't ever going to get better." Yeah, it just gets their, worse. And their worse. lives are never going to. Yeah, really. exactly. It <laughs> so. only goes down from there. Uh, and I, it took me a while to watch that, and I'm glad I did because I've seen it was well done. Yes, yes, but uh, it, but it is exactly that. That's interesting. Yeah, so that's sort of the and like there's a lot of people and like in theater who came out of that. Uh, like there's names that, as far as like British. Household names go yeah. in uh, theater or whatever. Ooh. If you care about like sixties, seventies, and you clearly people, do, who, which I did. Who, who, uh, who, uh, uh, 
Tony Richardson was a, a big I don't one. know who that is. He's a, he was a brilliant director who was resented by uh, John Osborne to the point where he was oh. not, <laughs> told specifically not to go to his funeral. Uh, <laughs> there was like a, John Osborne was that guy for uh, better or for worse. Married okay. five times, fell apart four of those times horribly. Right. Um, so it was autobiographical to some extent. To, yes, a yeah. lot of extent. And he also went on to write a lot better plays after that. But that was like the one that put him on the map and like that's still his How legacy. How old was he when he wrote that? Was in his 20s. He was, was like, it was 20, like 26. 26, 27 I believe. Okay. Um, and it was... What's so, your favorite of his other stuff? He that wrote one be? called A Patriot for Me which I thought was fascinating which is about... I think it was like a period piece and it, it had a weird homo... Like it was a homoerotic plot but that was like if you want to read like a well-run expansive play that has... leads itself to brilliant staging that is one to read and that sort of... Be, if you look at his, at his, it's this is a completely different sure. right turn of that. But if cool. you, welcome to the door, yes. Uh, so if you look at the uh, oeuvre of David Cronenberg, which is again complete left turn from what we were just talking about. Right? Is he a horror director? He's a horror director from the eighties. There we go. Um, uh, if you've seen Videodrome, is one of the movies that sort of defines him as a filmmaker with James Woods and Debbie Harry, who never really acted before or since. Okay. And that movie is like. All about he's very big on like the relationship between the media and the body. Like he sort of ended body horror, which is okay. its own sort of uh, genre where like he like your body literally interacts and almost becomes a television or a technological device. And uh, oh, like possession. Yeah. It's, okay. So there's like a very famous scene in Videodrome where he the TV sort of gets becomes a. A biological entity okay. and he gets literally consumed by it like the TV okay. literally eats him and uh, it's all I think in every media theory class in the country will study that because it's a real fascinating view on like how your flesh and the media you consume become one at a certain point and okay. uh, his best movie is probably Dead Ringer which is Jeremy Irons which is like has this weird tin blot that covers the Isn't same the, thing the, the twins who are gynecologists from yeah. Canada yeah I accidentally saw that yeah that one uh, yeah. that was terrifying yeah it's it was incredibly tense and uh, very well done yes congratulations everyone involved yes I never watched so it. yes that's uh, <laughs> a lot of what he does though I have seen several of his movies multiple <laughs> times so I yeah. shouldn't talk but that if you looked at his best movie that's generally considered like okay. the best done but when you think of like what defines him as a filmmaker, probably Videodrome is the one you think of. He also did Scanners, which is famous for the head exploding. Oh, okay. Uh, in, I've seen the clip. Yeah, they, I've seen it in GIFs uh, with pizza that sure. replaced <laughs> with the head. That is a very uh, frequently used GIF. Finally. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he made it. He made, yeah. They are now part of the mainstream culture. Okay. So, so Osborne. Anyway. So the, the 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 director who he Osborne didn't direct hated. that, but yeah, he later they later became Richardson. Ri, uh, yeah, uh, whose daughter was Natasha Richardson, who became a very famous actress. Excellent. Uh, who's uh, that? She. Uh, was, I'm here so that nobody else has to ask <laughs> these questions. So she was a very <laughs> famous actress in like the like basically 70s, 80s, and 90s. She died really tragically about nine, ten years ago. Some I forget the how of the accident, but it was like. It was an accident. It was an accident, and it was incredibly tragic at Very the time. Sad. But my, the lot of th she's done a lot of things. The one that was most fascinating to me was she played Patty Hearst in the Patty Hearst movie okay. biopic, uh, which directed by what's the guy who did the screenplay for Raging Bull and did Autofocus? Paul Schrader. I think Paul Schrader did that. Nice work. I'm glad I was here. Pulled as a that support. one out. <laughs> uh, but the, what I love about that movie because I also have a weird fascination with Patty Hearst and like 
how she embodied a lot of like counterculture in the 60s and 70s. But what that movie does, because she has a weird relationship on that. Because on one hand, she was like the rich girl who became like turned into. Yes. Uh, turned Manson into, and yeah, yeah. And like that world but also and opposed to like I mean she would like there was the Manson clan but she was like old wealth who became that so there's a right. weird class dynamic of that that not even Manson had like Manson preyed on runaways and stragglers right this was the 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 granddaughter of William Randolph Hearst who, who for some reason fell for William uh, Manson yeah for Charles Manson so yeah, but, or, yeah it was uh, and so on the one hand there's that on the one hand she was sexually abused to a horrific level. On the other hand, she did kill someone. So, like, right. sort of did. Well, um, I don't know enough about Patty Hearst. I mean, right. we, we could weed off into a Patty Hearst chunk We could here. do that. Um, but the weird, but, like, what I, just to sort of get back, what I love about the Patty Hearst, the movie is it's from her mind. And her mind, like, that's sort of an unreliable narrator situation. Right. And for, which is what she is. And that's kind of the right way to do that because there's so many complicated things in her story that having no resolution to that actually really works in how you present that. So. Right, because <laughs> you might as well put it from her perspective because yeah, nobody else gets it. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, uh, I don't know if even uh, he, Paul Schrader got it, but... Uh, right. He, it's, but is her daughter Lydia Hurst? Yes. Who who's is married, married to Chris, Chris Hardwick? Hardwick? Yes. All right. Um, I once, for reasons uh, beyond me, ended up <laughs> not even like going into that estate, but just like dropping someone off, dropping like a thing off. That's like, I just asked someone, asked me, Hey, can you drop something off here? And like, I'll give you a little money when I was like, okay, sure. Yeah. And it was, uh, I was like, Oh shit, that is that estate. Right. And there's a security guard outside who complimented my Simpsons tattoo. So that was, that was, there's a lot of things going on. There's so there. many, Los Angeles is genuinely <laughs> one of the weirdest places yeah. in the world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like people make fun of rent-a-cops. Yeah. If your rent-a-cop is clearly an ex, a white, 47 year old white right. guy who used to be a cop right you have giant bags of money like or <laughs> yeah. if he's like ex Mossad yeah. and he's 60 you're terrified yeah uh yeah. there was a there was a i had a comedian who i met in new york she was more in storytelling like stand-up but she had a story about how her i don't know if she was older she was like in her 60s at that point and okay I don't. I Who think, was it? I, I probably know her. I don't remember her name. Uh, okay. I don't think she was. Also, <laughs> so. I don't also think she was that sort of in, in, into that area. Into that, she was also not like that prominent. But she was like someone I interacted with. And her dad. She's from Minnesota, I think, actually. And okay. her dad was, I think, mob killed in like the late forties because he was a Nazi sympathizer, <laughs> um, and which was in like the weird thing after post World War Two combine. Uh, hangover war two for Americans with right. Midwestern rage, like, uh, right, and just insane, more right. like Lobster Man or Rocket, yeah, the Rocketeer, yeah, where you're like the mo- even the mob is going to kill yeah. Nazis, it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was that, and then her uncle uh. was like CIA and helped found Mossad, I think, in Israel. <laughs> so like you have this Nazi who's killed for like Nazi yeah. sympathizer, and his dad, the brother, literally founds. The Israeli the Musa, the, counter right. to that. Uh, so that's that's and that's like what she was born into. I, I wish I remember her name because I was just like I, heard the, that. I bet you that I, I bet you she's uh, still online or there's some sort of online presence. That's there's something bad. there that, I, that I'm, maybe I, if we Google it, I will, uh, yeah. Let me know. Todd, I, will, I don't know any of the names of her or the people involved in the story, but right. Uh, but, but there are some clues. Yeah, well, there's so stuff those that can of be you figured that are out. Sleuths. Yes. I need to know more about the...
my ad, my ad, my ad. I'm about to do an ad. Rangers, this is another ad for HelloFresh, which I genuinely love. It's HelloFresh.com slash Dork80. And you enter Dork80 at checkout and you get $80 off your first month of HelloFresh. Here's a scoop. HelloFresh is simple, enjoyable, easy, delicious. Literally, they do all the meal planning, the shopping, the prepping. It's seasonal. They're simple recipes, pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door every week. My favorite thing is that it includes the, the protein. So you get to pick whatever you want. There's three plans to choose from, classic, veggie, and family, with the option to switch between them, obviously, as your tastes change. And the one that I just made was great. This is my favorite. Actually, there were, I picked two, but here's the one <laughs> that I was going to tell you about, which was meatloaf balsamico. Balsamico, you guys, with a sweet potato mash and green beans. Uh, essentially, it came with enough like ground beef to make two meatloaf patties, and then you mixed everything in. The garlic, the onions, ketchup, ground beef, parsley, vinegar, and a little panko breadcrumbs to keep it together. So... Like, I, I could never remember how to make meatloaf, <laughs> so it was actually quite fun. Anyway, all the meals come together in about 30 minutes. It calls for less than two pots and pans and require minimal cleanup. So for $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash Dork80 and enter Dork80 as the code, and you get $80 off your first month. Let's get back into the show. Theater. Yeah. <laughs> because um, I'm learning things and yeah. I'm hearing names that I've genuinely never heard before. Yeah. And I'm sure that they're very famous, but yeah. um, I grew up in South Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes. Uh, so, a fine town. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure to this day. Um, so, the, with um, Look Back in Anger, while the people who are younger in that world, it clicked with them immediately. Right. The, Theater, the world of like theater critics and like the people writing about theater in, in newspapers and magazines, which were still around then and still like not mm-hmm. only around, but the way people heard about things. And, and how people became famous. Yes, exactly. Uh, most of them hated it. Like the older generation didn't understand it and they did, there was like not, and it was not something they'd seen before. So right. they were sort of confused and upset by it. But uh, sorry, go on. Quick question. Mm-hmm. Do you know offhand the year that um, like, a uh, death of a salesman was written. Forty, I think it premiered been, on Broadway in forty nine. I think there was so it would have been ten years earlier. Uh, about eight or seven years earlier. Uh, okay, and that was another thing that actually my grandfather used to always say that play changed his life. And that like he, uh, he ended up going into politics, and he was actually a state representative in Massachusetts for over a decade. But wow. he was like weirdly in like a dead end. He was a he got a law degree. He was sort of in a dead end job there, and he okay. hated it. And he saw that, and I'm like, I'm not going to continue this life. So he went into like that changed his life, right? Yeah. Well, and then like Arthur Miller, yeah, he wrote in the 20s. Yeah. Is that right? No, he wrote. I, it was more 40s. He wrote. Uh, he wrote. No, wait. Of course, because he dated Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. So and he was too old, but yeah. he wasn't old. Like he wasn't. He wasn't like hundred upset old upsetting yeah. age. I think he died when I was like, not not only alive, but like when I was like a right. I think he lived early teen. Yeah, yeah, like I think he lived long. Oh yeah, no, he lived to like nineties. 2011 almost like it may oh have been God. something like that so he lived right. a long time uh yeah because remember he was like on stage in a production of you from a bridge on broadway just like celebrating at the end so i'm like yeah. that is in like 2010 so i'm like that is a long That's time a long for that, ma- that man to live yeah it's- well because well, what i'm trying to figure out is that it feels like there's always something there's there's something that's created when people are about 26 yeah that the generation above them doesn't like. Yeah. 
And, and in this case, it was... Sort of angry, young... Angry, young British of, men. Yes, who were set that. But the one theater critic who saw that and clicked very early identified that this is a generation-defining work and mm-hmm. that this is going to be talked about for decades. And if you are looking at the history of British theater decades from now, this is like a before this and after this moment. Like okay. this is a ch- uh, changing of the guards and things yeah. like that. And that uh, was, his name was Kenneth Tynan, who was a theater critic for decades. And later in his life, I think in the 70s, he co-wrote the Roman Polanski Macbeth movie, which is... Uh, a very... I never... Which of is, course. Yes. I um, saw Chinatown and I was like, this seems autobiographical. In the, I want yeah, out. And this is... Uh, <laughs> so. If you could make a... And of all the Shakespeare plays to do in the Roman Polanski way, Macbeth is kind of the perfect, yeah. awful <laughs> kind of way to do that about like betrayal and uh, being influenced down a dark path and like yeah. having power and abusing ab- it and abusing it for weirdly sympathetic but not very cynical dark reasons. Um, and it's it for it is a if Romanesque is going to do Shakespeare, that is the one for him to do. All uh, right. And Kenneth Tynan was co-writer of it. Uh, he lived a very interesting life. He died at fifty-three. Uh, he was a chain smoker who was told early on you should not be chain smoking at all given the way your lungs work. And okay. uh, he still chain smoked till, I think he died in like the 70s. Uh, wow. Last year of his life was in Los Angeles. I read his I read his and John Osborne's uh, biography, which was okay. both very, uh, I, how did someone function this way? Uh, but I, in the time that this happened, this kind of made sense. But even then it's like, how did this happen? Uh, it's a biography about the two of them? No, about there, sort of there's their two collaboration? separate bio- biographies, okay. and I've read both of them. So. And their biographies, not autobiographies. Not autobiographies. Because there, it's also, there is moments in them where you're like, how the fuck did you <laughs> make that decision? Actually, with Ken Tynan, I, like I don't know what? if... It, yeah. Uh, so, Ken Tynan, in his, his last, like, eight years of his life, he was a very vocal sadomasochist uh, and very much into S&M. Okay. Uh, and he spent the last... Like, That's why he moved here. Kind of, eventually. you can do whatever you want. But by that, that, he moved here in like the way people moved to LA in the last year of their life to be in sunshine before they go. Like, oh, okay. Which is a oh, thing. kind uh, of a retirement yeah, thing. Re- yeah, one last year yeah. uh, in, the, in that life. Uh, also, John Osborne... Uh, wrote the movie Tom Jones, and he won an Oscar for best, I think, adapted screenplay. And like 19- a biopic about the singer Tom Jones. No, it was not okay. that. It was like <laughs> I a, don't know what. It, I don't. It's. A- it's a, I think it was like a novel in the 17th or 18th oh, century. And that then, Tom Jones. That Tom Jones, and okay. he did the movie adaptation, which I think won. Uh, uh, yeah, he won the Oscar for it, and so he got that was like his biggest source of income that he ever had, and right. he like had money that he from that he theoretically could have lived on for the rest of his life and he just found the stupidest ways after stupidest ways to squander that and broken marriage after broken marriage later he almost was uh, an impoverished person by the end of his life he, right the fifth marriage worked great like that one lasted I think 20 years and oh, they really? were happy and they were fine but the f- the first four were just like disaster on top piled on top of disaster for those yeah. um Right, and so the biography, and this is the Ken guy, right? No, no, this is the no, other this guy. this is John Osborne. That's John Osborne himself, yeah. who is full of, like, sort of ego. He's yes. he's a guy that is a, an incredible writer, but is, yes. a, and was married five times. Yes. 
And when, just in the making, era when that still happened, which I don't feel like Elizabeth Taylor, yeah, you I know? mean, or even Ingmar Bergman, I think was married like five to seven times. Yeah, like, it's a it's a thing when you are in a culture where you are expected to marry immediately, and, and oh right, and then you people realize shouldn't, then you're a personality who should never marry until young, young, uh, <laughs> and then you get on a path that you can't get out of, and right. it starts repeating itself. Right? Did Five he have times. like? Did he have f- four families? Uh, he had one uh, scorned, uh, estranged daughter. I think okay. that's it. I think that's he only had one child, and it was. Oh, thank God! This was a man who was not designed to be a father, from right, what I right. understand. Well, yeah, um, it sounds like he was designed very much to live alone. Yes, and occasionally see people that he liked. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes, and occasionally do things, and somehow find ways to. Fuck it up and fill it with spite and resentment right. when it didn't need to be there. But or that just was, throw it away. Yes, uh, yeah. in that glorious uh, way you used to romanticize, and now you're like, really? Can uh, you, you? I guess we don't. Yeah. Um, so Ken Tynan, again, the last ten years of his life, he worked on making an S and M like movie, like that kind of thing. Oh, okay. And he kept trying to get funding, and it never. It was like. He had so many like things that he could have done with it. He was one of the most brilliant minds and like I've ever encountered. It was almost like he was trapped in this apartment with these people. Yeah, almost uh, like it's that. It's almost like he chose to live in that apartment yeah. instead of yes. using his powers for good. Yes, and it's very true. He told uh, in his letters. There's a book of his letters that I read, and I think of those a lot. It's brilliant. Like, yeah. Opinions on theater, opinions on British culture, and just opinions on like that culture. He told. There's a story in that. That is one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard. Where uh, it's something he was friends with Marlena Dietrich, and he, uh, or just because he was in that yeah. world, and he relayed this story. I don't think it was ever meant to be in public knowledge, but right. it's in a published book, so it's <laughs> fair to say. Um, and uh, but he is telling that like Marlena Dietrich was friends, and there was rumors that she was had an affair with Joseph Kennedy. Okay, um, back in the twenties and thirties, sure. they used to vacation together. So John and Robert and all of them grew up with her in their life. Like yeah. Marlena Dietrich was a factor in her life. And uh, when John was in the White House, uh, she was accepting an award for, I think it was like a, from Holocaust survivors or something like that. That's the way the story goes right. in D.C. And uh, John called her to the White House and said, would you like to see me for a minute? And she, and she got there. And I think they met in the Lincoln bedroom. Uh, and he had sex with his father's mistress? Kind of. Well, that's the, the way the story goes. Which it, it sounds like a romance novel from the 12th century. Yes. Sorry to have put it yes, that way. Yes, it is. But the, the, the quote that is said, which is just like one of the most chilling portrayals of JFK you've ever heard, uh, was uh, she had like 30 minutes to spare and in like this time frame. So otherwise she was going to leave the Holocaust survivors like Oh, my God. So something like that. So she they... They did the thing you do in that right. situation, and uh, in the Lincoln bedroom. In the, uh, it may have been. I don't know where <laughs> JFK no, that's, did that, uh, but yeah, that's just the most likely place. It could have been wherever, uh, right? Wherever that happened. But she's like, I. So they. She got dressed afterwards, and she's like, I have to go. I have to leave right now. Yeah. And she started rushing out, and uh, JFK said, "Before you go, uh, can I? I just asked, do you ever make it with my father?" And uh, she said, "I did not, John." 
And he said, that's one thing I have on him. Uh, oh, Jesus H. Christ. <laughs> is, Here's the thing about men who are presidents. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Here's uh, the thing about men who are... That's a great way to start it's, a sentence. Because, you know, you hear about, like, Lyndon Johnson. I mean, you hear, like, the monstrous stuff, yeah. right? Where where you... And, and quite honestly, I've only heard it. I mean, you, there's, there's... Nixon was so bad that they had to eject him. Yeah. But you mostly hear it about Democrats. Yeah. And the stuff, the stuff about the Republicans must be so horrifying yeah. that no one's willing to, oh, yeah. to talk about. Well, it. The, like the, it's there's like the Democrats just are generally disgusting, but with just Republicans, weird... there's a Christian homosexual vein to it that Democrats where, don't where you're just sometimes like... have, but don't always. It's like yeah. Well, and there's just I feel, and this is with, again, let me just say it. I feel like there's coercion and mm-hmm. and pedophilia yeah. and incest and uh, rape with the Republicans yeah. of the last 240 years. Yes. The Democrats are just gross. Yeah. And uh, like Lyndon Johnson used to hold, like make people have him brief him when yeah. he was on the toilet. Which I know from the Seinfeld episode that. And I read it that. in his, one of yeah. his biographies and yeah. I was like. Oh, good lord! Yeah. I know you passed the Voters' Right Act. Yeah, but, uh, that's not <laughs> Medicare, enough. Medicare, <laughs> but and welfare, but yeah. it's not enough for yeah. me. And uh, so, but I, you, there's some part of me that's like I could never picture Elizabeth Warren doing that. Yeah, or, I could picture Biden almost doing that. A I little could picture Biden. I yeah. could, and I don't. There's a lot of parallels between Biden and Lynn LBJ for better and for worse. Right. So. I can't. I don't know what weird power trip that uh, I think. I think Obama was probably just chain smoking secretly. Oh yeah, no, I've heard. I, to- I have friends who I I I, lo- I was a big fan of him. I was in Chicago yeah. when he was he was my state senator in Chicago oh, for nice. a bit stri- for a stretch there. Were you and a Chicago comic? I as went. Well? No, I went to college there. I didn't do any college. Oh, that was your was undergrad? Undergrad at okay. University of Chicago, oh. uh, where he was. Uh, Jesus Christ! Yeah. So I, I'm, a, I'm, a smart, you guys. I'm a smarty, and I, this I, guy trapped in my tiny house uh, with just I, me and my I roommate. I had so many ways to go, and this is the path I chose. <laughs> uh, well done, Ethan. Um, but uh, it, it all handed to me, and then I don't <laughs> well, know what I decided to do with. Well, it. Well, you're you're doing what you love, and yeah. by the way, Ethan Stanislavski, you can go to Ethan. Stan comedy at Ethan Stan mm-hmm. comedy. It'll be in the notes. Yes. Okay. So, um, yeah. So Obama though. Yeah. So he, I had friends, even like a friend who's a comedian talks about working on a staff and finding cigarettes where they were not supposed to be found in a, at a time in his campaign and presidency. They were not supposed to be found. I have no doubt he was smoking. And you know what? I'm like, good. I'm if that's like, what you have to do to keep it in your pants if, or keep it in your pants or keep your finger off the bomb button like, right if that's how you do it fine right i mean clearly he had to not only be the best like without any sort of scandal right. like the fact he tried cocaine oh, yeah. in the, college the fact that well it's also like the fact that his presidency had relatively so few scandals it's like you don't notice it because there's few but like the fact that there were almost zero scandals is kind of remarkable but it's, you don't you well, it's don't, enormously yeah. i mean he had to be you know, it's the Jackie Robinson thing, yeah, except you, for the fact that I think he was a better ball player than Jackie Robinson. Yeah, I think and, so. Because uh, I think he was incredibly uh, right. the smartest guy in the room in, in many ways. Yeah. So he was. Yeah, and I also remember when he was running for 
senator in Illinois, even during the primary of that, he was seen as too much of like a too far left and too of much of an egghead to ever get the Illinois Democratic Senate primary nomination. Wow. And uh, that was a fun election. That was 2004. That was when I just moved to Chicago. Um, what was fun about that, which people, uh, that was a really kind of hilarious how like he won in a landslide, but it was at the very early stages in that race after he got the nomination, it was really like a 50-50 like people are like, this is going to swing the Senate one way or the other. Right. Race as 2004, uh, and the candidate, uh, the Republican candidate in Illinois, was named Jim Ryan, and he was like someone who was very well respected in that party, yeah. and he was sort of seen as the probably the strongest favorite. Jim Ryan was married to the actress uh, Jerry Ryan, who is famous from the show Dr- Boston Public and other. Uh, Wait, not not Star Trek? No. Uh, okay, different so Jerry Ryan. Jerry Ryan, okay. the act Jerry with an I, who's in Boston Public and a okay. number of other shows. <laughs> and they they were married, and then in their divorce divorce proceedings, it came out that he would take her to gross sex clubs when she did not want to go, and uh, situations like yeah. that emerged. Mm-hmm. Um, so he... At that time, at least in 2004, say what you will about it, when you had situations like that, you had to drop out of the race, which is a nice thing, like, as opposed to that. I mean, like, if you were, like, if you go to a sex club, fine now, but if you're, like, dishonest and your partner is not into it and you're sort of forcing them to go, then... And you're a Democrat, you got to drop out. Right, and this is a Republican, even, but even, this is a Republican. Oh, that's when the Republicans dropped out in 2004. They're still doing that. So, God... God bless have a situation where that's still a thing. That was still a thing, sure. Um, and they replaced him in the race desperately with Alan Keyes, if you remember that name. Uh, it was like the Ben Carson of, and Herman Cain of his time. He was like Oof. the one black Republican they right. they, <laughs> they pulled out of pulled retirement. Out. Uh, I think he ran for president in 2000, and uh, you just heard things he'd say, and you're like, that is not a thing a person should say uh, in any context. Right. But like he was that of that era and he wasn't even in Illinois like he was right in, like manufactured a residency situation so he can run oh my god and everyone and he was and they're like I think they just picked him because he was black and yeah. they were running against a historic like charismatic yeah. future star uh, black President, uh, eventual president, two-term <laughs> right. president. Right. Um, they 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 saw how how dangerous Barack Obama and was, and they put they just threw a hail mary pass that failed in crashed and burned. <laughs> it, it's really kind of funny now. At the yeah. time, you're like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. But now you look back on that, like, uh, and he won by like seventy percent. And the thing is, like, that sort of shifted Illinois. I mean, they had a Republican governor for years, but they were a very 50-50 swing state in general. But that was sort of the era when Illinois shifted more or less consistently blue. Um, And that was sort of a big part of it. And even when you have a Blagojevich or Emanuel situation, it's still very blue and sort of is now in that column more safely than it was that was sort of like a weird turning point in 2004 for right. the state of Illinois. So, but that's that's a story that seems funny with the distance you have. Right, with it. right, well, and and completely. So it's so funny to read these biographies about. Yeah. A, do you read a fair number of biographies? I used to read more. Um, yeah. I, I'm I'm I, I'm sadly the person who went from reading 400 page detailed things to here's a Wikipedia page and the one early <laughs> life section. 
personal <laughs> life section, and now I feel like I know everything, which I'm not proud that I am that person no. now. No, but um, that... Uh... But that's sort of like how things work. And then I go back on Facebook and read something that makes me scream. Like, that's not... I should be reading books and not being on that. Right. And we're all reading more articles we're reading, and less books. We're reading Rage. I Like, my line about Facebook, it doesn't matter if you're right, it matters if you're loud. That's sort of how right. it works there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's, it's really, like, really frustrating. I have a thing where it was a comedian who's a very good friend of mine. I yep. love him. And it was just like a thing where he was raging against, like, sports teams using the Queen song, We Are the Champions. Because, yeah. Which is, they're like, you're using it for your championship, but it was like, and it was like a song about, like, celebrating homosexuality. Sure. But he was like, this is an AIDS rebuttal. That was his point. And I'm like... That song came out in 1977, dude. Like, yeah, I, I, you could let that go. You can. It's like that. It's, uh, that's like I am on your side in the general concept, but like right, I'm on your side, and it's baby, it's cold outside. Yeah, too. exactly. But uh, <laughs> there's I actually saw with baby and cold outside. I saw a weird uh, rebuttal of that mm-hmm. uh, of that now consistent you know, rape culture thought of that song, where it was a weird feminist defense of that song, where right. it was. And from the woman's point of view, she is actually interested in the sexual dynamic of it. But at the time, women were programmed to be to say no because right. they were supposed to not be sexual beings. Yes, and that there was an argument that that song embodied that sentiment even more than the pressuring woman side of it. That she it was in a position where she was interested, and there is like. I think that there's a valid point there's to be a val- made there. And I'm like, there, that is a valid side of that, that I'm happy I read that point of view. And right. Like, whatever I, you think, that is a that is a, a worthwhile perspective on that well, song. Well, I mean, if, there are, if there's one romantic comedy about a woman being tricked into having sex, there's a million of them. Yeah. And it's because... That was the only way that you could justify it. Yeah. You're like, no, I want to have sex, the, but I the, clearly need I, to be tricked into it. I mean, we're, it. we're on an uh, audio podcast, so I can't... I'm, I'm doing like a visual thing, but like the motion of like a woman being like, oh, no, and then like moving forward. Right, and, right. Like, yeah, kissing it's, it's, is like, right. that was like a trope in every romance I'll tell of you, like the, the movies from like 1920 to 19... Like, uh, 2019. Yeah, 2019, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. I think Seth Rogen. Yeah. And so, but the, like, I own several, um, I used to love Rock Hudson, Doris Day movies. Yeah. And or even Tracer Spency, Catherine Hepburn was another right. one big on that. Would also do such a thing. Yeah. And you're just like, um, though I will say Catherine Hepburn was always empowered. Yeah. She was always like. Which is why she was the best. Yeah. Is that she was, she, what. She was like, no, we're doing this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, I, I don't know if you ever saw Ka- Carrie Grant, Catherine Hepburn Holiday. Yeah. Uh, or uh, uh, His Girl Friday is another one of that. Even that's, His Girl Friday is, uh, yeah, that's. There's less of that there. That's sort of, Rosalind Russell. Yeah, that's and, Russell, That is true. That's right. Damn, damn um, it, Ethan. I should have known that. I've well, seen that movie the thing is, several h- times. How could, I, how could I know something, quite honestly, that's, uh, I, I almost never know something that <laughs> someone else doesn't know. Yeah. So, <laughs> especially when it has to do with actors. And, yeah. Because uh, I also own His Girl Friday. Yeah. But there's just like, there's, there is that, that dynamic that we, because women have been sold this bill of goods yeah. that you're not supposed to want it. Yeah. And so you have to be tricked into it and then you enjoy it and then, yay, we all win. Yeah. But, but yeah. I I'm mean, glad it'd be great. that dynamic is done. But like, if you are living that dynamic, there's certain. And if you want to live. It's a different sort of set of rules that I'm glad those rules have changed. But if you look back on people's decisions when those rules were happening. And if you want to role play those rules. Yeah. I heard a version of Baby It's Cold Outside where the woman sings the part. Yeah. And the guy's trying to leave. Yeah. And I was like, 
Yeah, it doesn't work. It yeah. actually does not work uh, in yeah. that. I see what you're trying to do. Right. You're trying to fix this mo- this this song. Right. But you either have to accept it or not like it. Right. And it's it's like trying to watch the movie Holiday Inn, which yeah. has a blackface scene in it. Oh yeah. And um, it's Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire. Yeah. And um, God, I never remember her name, but uh, she didn't do anything after. I couldn't find her. Yeah. Anyway, but um. There's a, a scene in blackface because it's the different holidays and it's uh, Independence Day. Mm. And so they, uh, Bing Crosby is in blackface singing sort of an Uncle Tommy kind of, it's brutal. Yeah. But it's the only song that the one black actress gets to sing anything in. Right. So I'm like, that woman could probably have done, been Lady Macbeth because yeah. she was, to have gotten any work at all, she had to be incredible. Yeah. And to cut out her, and, and, and sometimes AMC will show Holiday Inn without that scene. Yeah. And I'm like, you are re, re whitewashing history. Yeah. There's, there's, there's uh, situations like that. There was a Warner Brothers cartoon, one of the Looney Tunes, that is now in a, a shelf at the Library of Congress and it will be there and nowhere Song else. Song of the South? Well, it was, it was Cole Black, which was their, uh, their Snow White parody, which was a Disney product. And, at the time, it was seen as revolutionary, as like, this is changing the game. Right. It's like the birth of a nation of Looney Tunes with right. all the implications of birth of, of a of, nation. Of all of that. Uh, and it is, I have not seen it. I have heard about it. I, as interesting well, I might as historic- well see Jerry Lewis as a clown in, the, in Auschwitz. Yeah. Though I will say, uh, if you want to watch why Jerry Lewis was, like the French love Jerry Lewis. They always right. have. And you're like, why is that? Um Speaking of Looney Tunes, I think it was Chuck Jones, who, or no, it was Tashlin, Frank Tashlin, who was very big in Looney Tunes. In the 50s, those Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis movies mm-hmm. are incredible. Like, they are... I a, loved them as a child. I, they are... Like, Artists and Models is one of my favorite movies. Have you ever seen that? And it has weird Looney Tunes elements. Um, What's it called? Artists and Models. That was like 50, 55. It was roughly that era. It was like an early cover fil- color film. And there were Looney Tunes elements. What's her name? She was in The Apartment... Uh, Shelly no, McLean. Shelly McLean. Shirley McLean. Shirley McLean. She was in that. She was incredible. And it's a slapstick comedy, but it has sort of unbelievable costumes and humor. And it's like you've never really seen anything like that. And, the, the, and, and that's the from Dean the Martin, 50s, right? Yeah, that was the 50s. And that was the Dean Martin Jerry Lewis dynamic in that is like perfect. And it's like transcend. It's comedy, but it sort of transcends that and becomes like. You, I may have to see because yeah, this I is. Remember, I recommend this movie. Like I shout this movie to the rafters because like, I I never liked the solo Jerry Lewis movies. No, yeah, because I'm not a huge fan of really big comedy. Right, you know, I it's I know that it's done again. It's something that's done well. Right, congratulations. But, I don't need to watch it. Yeah, but uh, but I do remember as a child, like being seven or eight years old and fucking loving the Dean because I had the giant crush on Dean Martin yeah. and, and Jerry Lewis di- was perfect their dynamic is one of the best comedy dynamics you will ever see it's like sort of in my mind it's like almost like the model and it's like there's it's the straight man loony person dynamic yeah. on yeah, one yeah. level but there's like a class to it that I feel like it's it's hard to describe if you watch a movie like you see there's a voice to that dynamic and there's like a still like Dean Martin as you think of Dean Martin now he is still in that he's just younger and right more and, more well, uh, and, virile I guess is probably and the more best energetic word. Yeah. I mean the ener- the energy that they had it felt less like they were going through the like the road movies yeah. right like yeah. by the end of the road movies you're like stop it right the first two road movies I would say one and a half right I own all of those right uh, th- but I would those and then um, 
Well, uh, fuck, I forgot. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, but yeah, but so th- there's a dynamic to those very early uh, Dean Martin Jerry Lewis where they don't hate each other. Yeah. Where they're still psyched. And I think, and the, what's interesting about the Tash because Tashlin was very involved in Looney Tunes, and you add. There is like cartoon, there's literally cartoons mixed yeah. in with like a city romance trying to make it in like the, the business, whatever. Right. I think it was like the fashion business or something like that. Whatever it was. Like, Advertising. Uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, or I think they were also like just trying to get work in that. It was yeah. like they were like poor roommates. And I was like, yeah, Jerry Lewis and D. Martin are struggling artists. You like <laughs> think of that, chew on that for a second. Right. Um, and, but that the, like you add, the Tashlin dynamic to that, which is like the Looney Tunes dynamic. Um, there's a scene where they, there, I think, I forget how it was like, they're at uh, some kind of showcase of fashion and it is like, this is the most absurd thing you've ever seen. It is, it, it's not, that's not the cartoon scene, but there is like, the way people are dressed and the song right. and dance it's numbers of it, and it's, it's insane. And it, but it's also <laughs> like, you see it and you're like, I am like, smile laughing. You know yeah. that like, joy smile laughing? Not yeah. like, I'm laughing out loud, which there is, but it's just like, I am in love with everything that's <laughs> happening here. It's one of those kind of scenes. Uh, yeah, I believe that. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it can be done like, oh, I know what I was going to say. It's some like it hot. Yeah. With, um, uh, Jack Lemon, Jack, Le- Jack Tony Lemon, Curtis, and, and Tony Curtis, yeah. which I loved, and Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. Oh, oh no, that's Monroe. that's the apartment. That was Monroe. That's Monroe. Yeah. Anyway, so um, but it was it was in my opinion it was Jack Lemon was sort of uh like a button down version. Yeah. Of Jerry Lewis because yeah, he was that's wacky. Like, that's there's definitely that, but he was like still like actor actory about it. Right. But it was but it was that personality and yes. and the dynamic of Tony Curtis was the Sanders straight man yeah. weirdo dynamic just at a sort of more muted but like artistic yeah. level and it, like I always say with, with like narrative comedy movies like stand up your stand up but like with narrative comedy movies what I always thought and like a lot of movies that are like comedies like Will Ferrell or whatever they're right. like here's th- you write jokes and then you write half a plot around it yeah. but I feel like the comedy movies like the narrative works I always like are Literal like situation, not comedies, like not like a sitcom, but like you are put you put characters in a weird, terrible situation in an absurd situation, and you see how they respond, and it's funny. Like, yeah, but it's funny because of the circumstances, not because you're shoehorning jokes into a situation. Right, like like a classic um, buddy film would be yeah. like <clears throat> Midnight Run. Yeah, with Tr- uh, Groden and um, yeah De Niro. Yeah, and um, and. Would you say that like a romantic comedy that was funny? Because oh, an absurd situation, and I just rewatched it when I was on the road, right? Because I have it downloaded on my phone. Right. Is music and lyrics? Yeah, music oh, and lyrics. God, yes, yes, it's yes. a terrible, it's, uh, wonderful. But it is has that element. It has a, a feeling of joy to yeah. it, where the Shakira character comes out of a giant Buddha. Yeah, and you're like, what is happening? <laughs> and and I forget. And Kristen. Kirsten Johnson, Kristen Johnson, yeah, Kristen, um, Twilight, whatever. Twilight Girl, uh, that, yeah, she was in, uh, uh, she and Jesse, the, she not and the Jesse 70 Eisenberg, show, Third Rock, Third Rock yeah. from the Sun. Oh no, yeah, that Kristen Johnson, that Kristen not Johnson. Uh, Kristen Stewart. I got that. That's confused. it. Yeah, so yeah, Third Rock from the Sun, Kristen Johnson, yeah. who is hilarious. Yeah, she's and great. she is. It's a, it's not a big part, but it is fucking stuck the landing. Yeah, and then it's Drew Barrymore and, and yeah. Hugh Grant being silly in a weird situation. Yeah, with good timing and good yeah. jokes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think there's, that's always like, I, I just wrote, I'm just getting a movie made. It's my first movie. And, uh, congratulations, which is, which is nice. Ethan Stanislavski. It's, uh, 
starting prob we'll see when it starts. It's okay. one of those things it's pre-production in the state of pre-production. Sure, we'll, we'll it's pre-pre-production. Pre-pre-production, uh, and uh, I, but like the, our producer who when we uh, co-wrote the screenplay, and uh, our producer talks that his th- the theory of screenwriting he was taught is you have a guy and you just throw shit at him, and when you thought you've thrown all the <laughs> shit you can throw at him, you throw more shit at him, and you just interesting it spirals interesting. and spirals and spirals, and you see. What happens, and that there's humor in that, which is nice. Like, sure, throw shit at a man and watch what happens is always going to be funny, like, right? Did theoretically, you, and well, the, I mean, the thing yeah. is, is, is if you can write your way out of it, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but it, but it's not a, it's an excellent exercise at the very least. Yeah. You're like, if if you have a, if you have any kind of writer's block, yeah, just start throwing shit at your character, yeah, and then see how they respond yeah, to that's it. That's always fun. Uh, the show, I'm the show, I'm kind of obsessing over now. Uh, TV show that is very much that is uh, Patriot on Amazon. I don't know if you've heard. Or, it's or called seen. Patreon. Patriot. Oh, Patriot. Not Patreon. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> what that show would be. That, I have no idea what that show would be, but I'm weirdly uh, fascinated yes, by exactly. that. Yes, exactly. So but Patriot on Patriot Amazon. Patriot on Amazon. Basically, it's uh, about, it's called a knock, which is like a, I forget what it stands for, but it's like a court, a spy who works, American spy who is under the veil of being like a, in a, corp- a corporate, like private company, but he does spy shit while working for a corporate company. It, is the word narc? Not. N- <laughs> because it sounds like a Brit, the the Boston accent for narc. Knock. But, are, uh, are, you, are you not a knock? No, knock. But it is, I guess there would be co op no matter what. It's just, <laughs> I love saying that. But so, uh, so Patriot. Patriot. So what, basically, what that is, he plays like a corporate spy who's supposed works for the only company that does business with both Luxembourg and Iran, which is where a deal needs to. To be hacked. okay, so that's why they place him there, and of course the deal goes horribly wrong. Sure. and uh, this guy both gets the shit kicked out of him and kicks the shit out of people, and uh, some more than that, like blood uh, death level of stuff. <laughs> um, but like, it's one of those things. You, the pilot, it just keeps fucking coming, and like, what happens in the pilot is like they unfold like two seasons worth of shit. That wow. keeps piling up from the events of the pilot, and uh, it's and it's funny. It's really funny in it's a just very darkly, black way. Darkly funny. And, like, it's one of those things you just again throw shit at a person and see what and, happens. Yeah, um, it's an excellent uh, as a as a literally that sounds like a writing. Uh, oh yeah, thing that I'm going to do. And it just it just like it's one of those things like I, you get you like this show is set up that you get used to shit just keep happening, and so right. you're you're anticipating it. I'm like I haven't seen it all. I'm like. Three episodes. There's two seasons. I'm like three episodes into season two, and like okay. they call it uh, jellyfishing. Uh, it's like they have a whole thing on that, which is like you try to knock out one jellyfish, and four more come <laughs> up, and it just keeps happening. And so Ooh, you, look for, you look for you look for where yeah one. yeah you, you it's where does what's the first jellyfish? What led to like fifty jellyfish? Uh, All is right. that the plural is of jellyfish, jelly, of jellyfish, is jellyfish. Is jellyfish? I, I believe so. I think that's right. Um, Ethan Stanislavski, I gotta have you back because we're at an hour <laughs> ten, <laughs> which is insane. Yeah, and um, we had three items. We got through half of one. Half um, of one. But we did get to some of the uh, the look back at anger yeah. and, and the angry young man. Yeah. Uh, I learned things. I learned things. We dorked out. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Everybody should. It's at Ethan Stan Comedy on, on Twitter and Instagram. Yes. Rangers, you know the rules out there. Take yeah. care of each other. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around my hat. <laughs> my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that?
If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh my God. We, why don't we just call that as the end of the show?